0: This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. Your host, Greg Gazin, speaker, blogger, author, and syndicated veteran columnist of Troy Media. Episode 151 starting effective conversations that yield results with our guest, Chris Fenning. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. This is your host, Greg Gazin. Now, I often think of how little was taught in school about public speaking. And of course, that's one reason that I joined Toastmasters. However, I can't recall a time where anything was ever taught about effective conversations, except perhaps maybe when I took a conflict resolution course, but that was critical conversations. But nothing was ever taught about effective conversations, let alone starting one. Now, fortunately for us, our guest today is a subject matter expert in both of those topics. Chris Fenning helps technical professionals communicate with business teams. One of his big audacious goals is to destroy the stereotype that techies can't communicate because they can. Chris is a husband, father, communications instructor, and the author of the award-winning book, The First Minute. How to Start Conversations That Get Results. It's a short book on how to communicate clearly and concisely at work. When he isn't working, you can find him walking in the countryside with his wife and daughter. Speaking to us today from Amsterdam in the Netherlands, Chris Fenning, welcome to Toastcaster.
1: Thank you, Greg. It's a a real pleasure to be here.
0: Now, Chris, we converse every single day. It's a fundamental thing that we do in our lives, whether it's at home or whether it's at work, but yet... It seems that there's very little emphasis on improving it as a skill. It, it just seems that we've missed the boat on this. Why do you think
1: that is? <laughs> yes, we and I'd like to say we as a society have missed the boat on this. I don't have the answer to why it's the case. I just know that it is. And the reason that I'm, I'm so confident in that statement is, if we look at the entire time we spend at school, 12, 14 plus years, depending on your level of university and further education, how much of that time is spent learning communication? If you're lucky, mm-hmm. there may be some presentation training, there may be some communications in a general studies course, but there are very few taught modules or taught courses about communication. And yet- It's listed as a top five critical skill in every job that you come across and every resume, every job description that we find online. So there's a big gap between our own personal experience through the education system and then what's expected of us when we get into employment. So why that's the case, I'd love to have a conversation about it. (laughs) That it exists is definitely, definitely the experience that I and most of the people I've spoken to have found so did you have an epiphany when did it become
0: evident to you that this was a serious problem and of course a motivation to do something about it and write about it
1: my epiphany came when i got a hard knock at work it was a personal experience where i came out of university with more confidence than i had any right to have and <laughs> i mistakenly believed that good communication meant talking a lot and being confident while doing it and it turns out surprisingly, perhaps to some, that's not the case. That doesn't make good <laughs> communication. So I had a, a very real moment in the first year after university. I was given an opportunity to present to an executive board. My boss had prepped me and I was given this, this chance to do a one-hour presentation. The presentation ended up being 30 minutes. There were some timing issues. And so when I got up to the front, I was told, you've got half the time. I started talking at twice the speed thinking back on it now, it was just awful. I literally started talking like this. Blah, 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 blah. I thought, I have to get through this material. And very quickly, my my boss put up, I can't remember, one or both hands and just just said, stop. He got me to reset. And I I was given another chance, which was very nice. Again, just came across really, really fast, rushing through the material. And in the end, I was asked to sit down and in front of all the executives, first job out of university, instead of shining in that moment, I had to sit down and my boss took over the conversation, took over the presentation. And that was the the first moment that I realized there was a significant gap between my real ability and my belief in my ability.
0: You just mentioned the first moment, or if we look at your book title, The First Minute, when we hear those words, the first minute, in the context of speech, quite often we'll think, Or maybe it's about a job interview where you have an opportunity to make that first impression, or maybe it's a speech where you're trying to perhaps capture the attention of your audience. But when it comes to conversations, conversations are two ways. That first minute isn't quite the same. Can you maybe share a little bit about that? Yes, it's not
1: the same. I'd like to start by clearing up when the first minute begins, because of the communication training that we get or the advice that we hear, we're often told that, When conversing with someone, whether in in person or on the phone, it's important to build relationships. So have that personal interaction to begin the conversation. The first minute in the context of what we're going to talk about is not when you start talking to the person. The first minute is about starting the work topic and being able to start it clearly and concisely and get the best out of the conversation. When your audience is listening to this and, and they think, well, Should we be talking to people and asking about the kids and the weekend and building relationships? Yes, absolutely do that. Please don't lose the human side of things. But the moment that you want to start talking about work, whether it's a one minute conversation or whether it's a half hour, one hour meeting, the moment you start talking about work, you need to do some very specific things to be clear, to be concise, and to help the audience and yourself get the best out of that conversation. And that's what the first minute is about. The first minute is about setting up the rest of the conversation for the best outcome, the best outcome for you and the best outcome for your audience. I can think of a number of occasions where
0: that first minute, not even the first minute, but the first 15 seconds where I think to myself, OMG, (laughs) (laughs) this is not going to end well. (laughs) This this hasn't started well. It's not going to end well. What are some of the biggest mistakes that people make in this respect?
1: Yes, lots of common mistakes. And we we all do this. I'm certainly guilty of a few. So we'll start talking to someone and we have the topic in our head. We know what we want to talk about. And the person or people we're going to talk to have no idea what it is that we're going to be talking about. I might want to talk about a project. They might be thinking about lunch or picking up the kids or doing an accountancy report for next week. The first mistake we make is we assume the other person knows what we want to talk about. And they don't. (laughs) They really don't. So if you you could do one thing and just improve one part of starting conversations, it's provide context. The very first thing that we should say should provide context for the rest of the conversation. So, hey, Greg, I'd like to talk to you about next month's financial reports. Or, hey, Greg, the kitchen sink's leaking. Can, Can you help me with it? Some kind of context to let the audience know what the rest of the conversation is going to be about. Do that, and you're already off to a much better start to the conversation.
0: That's fantastic. I you know when we spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago, I remember sharing the story with you about the Amazon box. You remember that?
1: Oh, yes. It's a great. It's a great example. Can you can you share it again? I I love it. It's a really really powerful example of this.
0: The whole idea with miscommunication, not in the context of conversation. This was more in the context of just communication with someone or making sure the message gets across right. You, someone walks out of a meeting and you run up to them and you hand them this Amazon box and then you walk off. And all of a sudden it's assumed and it'll often happen where you'll do this to somebody and you'll assume they'll know what to do with it. You know, what's in the box? What, am I, what, are, what are you supposed to do with it? Are you supposed to mail it? Are you supposed to open it? Are you supposed to recycle it?
1: <laughs> if I open it, is it, going to, is it going to explode confetti all over me? Is there a, a hidden camera show going on? There's all sorts of different things. Of, like, why have you given this to me? Yeah. And it, this sounds so much like the start of a conversation, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. We just come up and we plonk this information in people's laps and say, H- here you go. And then look at them and wonder why they're not answering the question, either the question we haven't asked, or they're just looking at us blankly. Like, well, I just gave you information. Why aren't you giving me what I need? And it's because we haven't set up those conversations well. You asked what what are some of the common items, and I, I mentioned one which is lack of context. Some of the others are, we go straight into the detail. I'd go up to someone and I'd start talking about the specific items or the specific detail about the problem or issue or whatever I want to talk about. And they have no idea what I need from them. I haven't let them know whether I'm telling them a funny story or whether I'm asking them a question, whether they've got to do something. So we go right into the detail and don't set the scene, or we go way down into the detail without providing any of the the bigger picture for the audience to understand how all this information relates.
0: It almost sounds like in your mind or in your head, you thought that you've already had a conversation and this is the second part of it. That's what it sounds like to me.
1: Yes. And that's often psychologically, that's what's happened because we prep for conversations might not be very long, but we do prep for conversations in our heads. So we've already had that first bit, so we can just jump into the the second thing. And this gets worse if you've got more than one topic to talk about. And if you've got two topics or three topics and they're related, then that's one of the, the most common challenges with conversations between two individuals or more, when those topics get mixed up and it isn't clear whether they're related, or when you move from one to another and and on between the different topics. Those are very often the points where conversations become confusing. People either make assumptions or make incorrect guesses and leave the conversation confused.
0: Now, Chris, you have specific methods that people can use, that people can employ to be able to get those conversations started on the right foot. Could you perhaps share some of those techniques?
1: Yes, absolutely. And they are they're really simple. I like simple. I don't like complex. I don't want to remember 15 things. So to start a conversation clearly, there are two techniques you can use. The first is called framing and the second is called a structured summary. And framing is, it is just what it, it sounds like. It frames the conversation. It's a three-part process. You provide context, you make it clear what your intent is, and then you deliver a key message. So we've already talked about context. Let the audience know what your topic is. You can do that in just a couple of words. Hey, I want to talk about this project, or hi, I want to talk about the lunch next week. Then you let them know what you want them to do with the information. So that's the intent. I need you to take an action. I need you to give me an answer. This is just a funny story. I hope you enjoy it. Let your audience know what you intend for them to do with the information, and then they know what they're meant to do with it, and it's easier for them to listen. And the third piece was the key message. So after the context, after the intent, you've got a key message. And think of that as the headline of your news article. It's either the most important thing, or it's the key piece of information that the audience needs to know. And it's a couple of sentences. And when you put those three things together, you've got 10 to 15 seconds right at the beginning of the conversation, where you've made it clear what you want to talk about, what you want the other person to do and what the headline of your conversation is going to be. And that sets you up. It's a really solid foundation for having another the rest of the conversation, be it five minutes or or an hour.
0: Can you give us an example pointing out each one of those elements?
1: Yes, sure. So hi Greg, I want to talk about the monthly sales reporting. That's context. I'm not clear on some of the figures, can you help me? That's intent. It looks like some of the numbers have been double-counted. I want to make sure that they're accurate. That's the key message. So the context is the accounting and the reports for next month. The intent is I need your help with some details. And the key message tells you that I'm worried about double-counting and inaccuracy in the, in the figures. What I didn't do was go into any of the detail. I didn't start saying, on line 17 and 18, they seem to be the same figures. And I I was looking through the reports for 15 minutes earlier today. I haven't given you any backstory. I haven't taken you through loads of history, and I'm not going into the details straight away. I'm just letting you know what we're going to talk about. And then I pause and you have an opportunity to either ask a question or tell me you don't have time to talk now or any other number of responses. But you can give me an informed response because you know what the conversation is going to be about.
0: That's interesting. Okay. So one method is your framing, which refers to the context, your intent. And there's you gave us a number of examples of intention. And again, it could be just nothing more than just saying, hey, here's a really funny story. And then, of course, your key message. Now, what would be the second method you could use?
1: The second method is a method called a structured summary, and it's how to be concise. And this is one of my favorite parts of of the book because while starting a conversation is critical to do it clearly, being concise was my biggest problem. <laughs> and I think anyone who went to school <laughs> with me or still knows me knows that being concise is not something i I do very easily. There is a way to summarize anything, and so I spent time working on this problem and looking at how large and complex topics can be summarized very very briefly. It turns out that at work. Almost everything we do is about achieving goals, solving problems, and implementing solutions. That's what we do at work day in, day out, whether you work in accountancy, whether you're an engineer for NASA, you're in a call center, sweeping the floors, it doesn't matter what you do. We all have goals. There are problems that prevent those goals from being achieved. And our job is to put in place, find and put in place solutions to overcome the problems and achieve the goals. What I've just described is how to summarize almost anything we do at work, because we can explain to people that... Take a really big topic. So let's talk about putting... um, Richard Branson went into space last week, or Mm -hmm. almost, depending which report you believe, whether he just grazed the edge of space or (laughs) made it all the way in. Um, I think there's there's a, a billionaire debate going on as to whether he really made it. But we could summarize his entire venture using goal problem solution. And it's a structured summary method. So the first part is the goal. Richard Branson wants to make spaceflight experience accessible to the masses. That's his goal, amongst other things. The problem is it's really hard and very expensive to get people into space, and it's very risky. So the goal wants to make it accessible to the masses. The problem is it's very expensive. The masses don't have money. It's dangerous. So you need to make it safe. Those are all problems that stand in the way of him reaching his goal. So the solution that Virgin Galactic took was to create a new type of space plane that took off from a normal airplane and goes into low Earth orbit and falls down using a novel way of slowing down the spacecraft, which is deemed to be safe. That's one way of describing the Virgin Galactic experience. The goal makes spaceflight accessible to the masses. The problem is it's complicated, it's expensive, it's dangerous. The solution is he found a cheap way to use existing technology and to make re-entry a lot safer. And by doing that, it makes it cheaper and so more people can go.
0: It's a great example because that acronym is GPS. Isn't that funny?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is. Credit goes to to my wife for that one. Uh, There were a number of other terms and words that I was using, same principle, but GPS works because it's a navigation aid. And if you use goal problem solution to guide the way you give information in a conversation, it shows you where you're trying to get to, and it gives you markers to help you on that journey. So if you find yourself rambling and going off on a tangent, or I was talking about Richard Branson, I could have started talking about Jeff Bezos and the competition they had. I now have those GPS coordinates to bring me back and say, okay, I'm trying to talk about the goal here's the problem that I want to talk about, the one specific problem, and then here's the solution to it. And if we do that at work, we can talk about almost anything and we can avoid the common pitfalls that we have when we start talking about a complex topic, which are going down rabbit holes, giving loads of history, walking through a situation in the order that events happened, which is much less important than focusing on the problem you want to solve and talking about the solution to it. So GPS is a great way to summarize almost anything in a very, very short space of time and help keep the conversation uh, moving forward.
0: When you first mentioned the topic, I was thinking, you called it rabbit holes. I was thinking off bunny trails, probably exactly the same thing. And it's yes. funny because whenever, again, being more familiar with speeches rather than conversations, even though I converse just about every day, we're always told that, oh, you need to be structured, you need to be concise, but we're never really told how to be. Just like in school, you're supposed to write term papers, you're supposed to give speeches and presentations, but you're never really taught how to do this. And I think this is really a good way of, of putting it into perspective.
1: Yes. Uh, well, thank, thank you. I'm, I'm glad it does help. What you've just described is why I wrote the book. I was told multiple times, you, know, you should be clear and concise. To be a good communicator, be clear and concise. And my immediate question was, that's great, but How clear and concise is a goal. It's an aspiration. It's, it's an outcome. It's not a method. I can't take clear and concise and apply it to an email or a conversation. So I wanted to know what are the steps and what are the smallest number of steps. And the, the engineer in me wanted the, just give me the one, two, three, ABC for how to make that work. And that's what I spent time working out and testing and using this in my own career and teaching people over a long period, and it it turns out that there is a how for being clear and concise at work, and its' goal problem solution is one of the one of the ways to be concise and make sure that you're clear and have solution focused conversations, which are the best types of conversations at work.
0: yeah, a couple of things come to mind as we're as we're talking about this. I'm thinking about you want to be concise, but perhaps maybe you're in a situation where There's a difficult conversation you want to have with someone, but yet you're not sure when to bring it up. So sometimes we kind of start with the small talk, maybe try to break the ice a little bit, do a couple of tests to see whether the person is up to it. And then you go in or you don't go in. How can you use this method when you have a situation where it's a really challenging conversation, either for the person you're speaking with or maybe for yourself?
1: Yeah. I'd like to split this into a couple of categories and one I want to talk about and the other one I I don't want to touch at all. Um, So difficult, difficult conversations has a broad meaning. There can be a difficult conversation where I disagree with somebody higher than me in the organization and I want to express that and talk about it. That is a challenging conversation. Another type of challenging conversation is perhaps around performance reviews or inappropriate behavior, those types of things. I don't want to talk about the performance review inappropriate appropriate behavior conversations. There's a lot of good material and methods already, already out there. The first minute may help, but I don't think that it's the best way to approach those types of difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. For the conversations where you disagree with a boss or you need to talk to a group of experts or you believe they're experts and you think you have a difference of opinion, the first minute can absolutely help you. It helps because... It takes helps take all the emotion out of it. It's very factual. Here is the goal I am trying to achieve. Here is the goal we as a team or we as an organization are trying to achieve. It's factual. It's not opinion based, and it's not emotive. And then the problem is what's standing between us collectively and that goal. And so, if I was talking to a boss, a boss was picking a direction, and I didn't think it was right for whatever reason, I'd want to talk to him and say, "Okay, here is what I understand our goal to be. Either." I'm right that we are trying to go for that goal, in which case we're starting the conversation with mutual agreement, which is a great way to begin, or I'm wrong and I get a chance to be educated before I start talking about the thing that I believe is a problem. So I've either avoided having a conversation where I look uh, look foolish or haven't got all the information, or I start the conversation with alignment and agreement, which is really good. So i say, here's what I believe the, the goal we're trying to achieve is, and here's the problem. Again, it's the problem that stands between you or the organization or the team and achieving that goal. So it's another opportunity to get confirmation from that senior person or to get new information. So perhaps they'd say, oh, well, that's only half of the problem. There's also this thing that you're not aware of. So it's another opportunity to be educated, always seeking to understand first. Then once you've gone through those two steps, if you're right about the goal and you're right about the problem, you've then got alignment and you've shown the person that you understand what you're trying to achieve and why it's difficult, you then propose your solution to the problem, which doesn't tell them they're wrong. You get an opportunity to talk about a different way to approach the problem, or you can expand on the problem and say, so here's the problem we're trying to achieve. I also see this extra or different element, and here's why I think the solution might need to be different. All the way through, you're getting confirmation that what you understand is accurate, you're getting agreement with the other person, and then you've got the opportunity to present your solution. And then you're having a discussion. But it's a well-started factual discussion rather than just going in and going, I think your idea is terrible and we should do this because you're all wrong, which is never a good way to, <laughs> to talk to, to anyone wherever they are in the organization.
0: It almost seems to me this the GPS the goal problem solution or even the framing is not something that is set in stone. It's not like you can prepare ahead of time and this is what you're going to say because I'm thinking real conversations if you think about them are not really sequential. They're not always logical, right? Sometimes something is said that can trigger something else or perhaps halfway through a conversation it's like, "Oh, I forgot about this. This is really relevant." And I just remembered this. And sometimes you you can end up veering off on a on a tangent. So what are some of the methods or what's a method that you could use to handle that situation because it's not like you can always prepare ahead of time and say okay here's my frame right here's my context my intent and then my key message and you can't always say okay here's my goal here's my problem here's my solution
1: in that case you you can as long as you only try and prepare for the first minute if you try and plan the whole conversation then yes you're you're going to try and stay too rigid to a topic but the first minute you can you can prepare and you can write down ahead of time because the framing is letting the other person know what the conversation is going to be about. So in 10 to 15 seconds, you shouldn't be deviating too much from that. The structured summary takes about 30 seconds. And as long as the person you're talking to isn't an interrupter, then you should be able to get through your 30 second summary, which then sets, sets the scene for what comes next in the conversation. So you give the whole summary and then you have a conversation about it. After that, the conversation can go in in any direction. Um, but I do I do advise at least prepping those first bits for the first minute. And then when you're in the conversation, you can use the goal, the problem, and the solution as your waypoints. If it takes a different turn, you find a new piece of information, and it turns out your understanding of the problem is way off. Then yeah, the, the conversation will go in a completely different direction. But keep in mind. You still want to get to the solution part of the discussion. You still want an outcome and not leave it hanging on the problem. So the framework is still there to guide you through the the stages of a conversation, even if the content goes in a direction totally surprising to you.
0: By making sure that you have some sort of framework to work with, you look at the aspect of GPS, I'm thinking that this could also help you in a situation where you go to talk to your boss or you go to talk to a colleague. And then you realize all of a sudden, you know, there's really two different things I'm talking about here. Maybe I should make sure that we get one straightened out and then actually look at the second one because I'm thinking it's a framework that you could work with.
1: Oh, yes. This goes back to the one of the common problems of mixing up topics in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Both framing and structured summary help with this, but framing is the real tool to help avoid that mix up and to ensure you get both topics to cover in the same conversation. And the way to do it is you summarize your whole conversation. So I say, hey, Greg, I want to have a chat with you. I've got two things I want to talk to you about. I've got a question to ask you, and I need you to sign off on a report. I've just framed a conversation. I haven't given you many specifics, but you already know there are two topics. And you know that one involves answering some questions, and the other involves signing off on a report. It took me eight or 10 seconds, and you've got that context and you've got that framing for whatever comes next that's certainly better than hey have you got a minute (laughs) oh yes (laughs) i know earlier i said if you take one thing away from this make sure that it's starting with context if you're going to take a second (laughs) thing don't ask for a minute because for most of us and i include myself in this for most of us it takes longer than a minute for us to get to the point let alone have a conversation about the topic when starting a conversation take 10 seconds. Think through the context, the intent, the key message, and the summary for your topic and think, do I need one minute for this or five or 10, or is this a 30-minute discussion? Just think about how much do you need and then ask for that. Don't ask for a minute if you're going to need five. Ah. <laughs> oh. It damages our reputation. This is the thing that it took me a while to realize. I'm I'm terrible. I still do it. Like, Again, my wife laughs at me and she says, you asked for a minute and this is taking four. So I, she does point out when I fail to heed my own advice because it's difficult in the moment. But the reason it, it's so damaging is we're missing a deadline that we've set for ourselves. If I come up to someone and even if I know them well, if I say, can I have a minute and then I take five, Not only have I taken five minutes away from them that they might not have had, but I've missed my own deadline. And if I can't meet my own deadlines, what does that say about my ability to meet other people's deadlines? It's a small thing, but it can make such a difference to your reputation.
0: One of the other questions, and it's something that you impressed upon in your book, is that these methods are not only useful for conversations. Correct. They're also useful in written correspondence.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Emails, meeting invites. The Instant messaging can work as well, but emails and meeting invites, if you write an email using the context and the intent in the subject line, and then your intent and key message are in the first line of the email, you've got such a clear start to your email. You're not starting with background or history. You're just getting straight to the point. And the same with meeting invites. So many of us get blank meeting invites. Write a meeting invite with context an intent. So we want to talk about the the annual party. And the intent is we need to form a planning committee, if that's what you do. The key message is about what you're going to do in that meeting. What is the proposed output? What is the meeting outcome expected to be? So yes, these tools absolutely work in emails, meeting invitations, the start of presentations, when you're asked a question and you're not expecting it, it gives you a structure that you can use to help organize your thoughts when answering it. Lots and lots of applications at work for, for both of these methods.
0: It's fantastic. And the final question, people want to follow up. They want to get your book. How can they reach you? How can they find you?
1: They can find me on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. That's my, my social hangout. And the book is available wherever you buy books. Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, online, lots of stores. Uh, and lots of different formats and if you want to find more content from me chrisvenning.com is my website
0: okay and we will put that information in the show notes thank you chris fenning it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for your time thank you greg once again this is greg Gazin. we appreciate you tuning in now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes, because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about, and perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazen. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazen, Geared to ages 8 to 80, whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at OutsmartingTheButterflies.com.